in his tour live. It's Neil Atkinson with Paul Hogan, Emma Sanders and John Gibbons looking back at the game against Southampton, not Southampton, Newcastle, where on earth did Southampton come from? And looking ahead to the game against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, also, uh, if you listen to this as a podcast, we have got Vicky and Jess from the Mersey Maid store uh, and Andy Kenwright uh, on his Zebedee Zika series of children books. Both of those things are to come. But we will start off with that game against Newcastle. And we'll start off with the idea, John, that it sort of becomes a little bit of a no-win for the Reds. We expect this Liverpool team to absolutely cut a side like Newcastle to shreds. And I think that they play pretty well first half, but they don't end up with sort of three, four, five, as you might think, uh, haven't played pretty well. Uh, Mo Salah misses a perfectly serviceable one-on-one. The actual Mo Salah goal, if it doesn't hit the back of the net, uh, the, the lab may well get sent off, but there'll definitely be a Liverpool penalty. feels as though there was, there was more opportunities in the game for Liverpool, but Liverpool just wanted to get a certain job done, beat Newcastle and crack on with the rest of the season. And I think that it made it all a little bit odd. It's a, it's a very strange thing to watch a brilliant, brilliant side and feel a little disappointed. And that's really unfair on them. Yeah, I mean, it is, isn't it? But, you know, that, that they set expectations so high uh, with the sort of continued brilliance that, you know, you expect big things. Obviously, the City results, you know, we've got everyone talking as well. Oh, can we sort of match that? Can, can Liverpool go out and do something like that? It's not a team that's ever concerned itself with stuff like that, really. That's always been sort of fan base chat. And whenever there's been, oh, this is an opportunity to get the goal difference up, we've just never sort of really done it. Uh, they're not sort of that sort of team. I think that the COVID stuff is has not necessarily spooked everyone, but got, got in everyone's head a little bit as well. You know, I think by the sounds of it, it was it was on the day. Um, so yeah. ob- then obviously, you know, Virgil and Fabino would have been expected to play, then suddenly they're out and other lads in. And, you know, they are human beings. So I think they'll be thinking about that. You know, they'll be thinking about whether the fact that they've been around the teammates and things like that. They'll be thinking about the families and, and stuff. So I think... And then, and then obviously there's there's another big game on Sunday, and so you know, but, but is that going to go ahead? So I think with all the un- uncertainty in the air and things like that, it just and also the fact that Newcastle were rubbish. Like I think, I think almost we we I think we do play better against better teams, and I think that was the thing with the Champions League draw, wasn't it? When you know it, it looked tough, you know the group, but people were saying so it's quite rightly actually we you know we're, we're almost better off with these sort of games, and that's how we proved we got 18 points. I think. I think Newcastle's rubbishness um, dragged us down a little bit as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like look. I'd love the scintillating performance last night where we tore them apart and, and scored sort of seven or eight, but it didn't happen. And I think there's a variety of mitigating circumstances for that. And so we take the win, and we all got to see a Trent Alexander-Arnold belter as well. We did indeed get to see a Trent Alexander-Arnold belter, Paul. I think there's a there's something strange as well where I do think that. We don't know what the the COVID situation is in terms of basically are any players going to test positive next. But I think even with, I think this would have been the case even if no one had. I think it's, I think this Liverpool side still is a bit of a funny team in second gear. They can't quite work out where to pitch themselves and, and pitch their intensity. And I think that that also impacts the performance that they are trying to win this game in second gear. They've got a big game on Sunday. But the other thing they might all, might all be increasingly aware of is they might have a big game on Sunday with an increasingly depleted squad so there isn't you know this the idea of exuberance i think they were trying to avoid exuberance they were trying to be professional all the way through the match it just sort of led to a slightly sticky second half where it would have been quite nice to see them cut loose but also newcastle newcastle get to improve in the game too 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think all the things that you said, you know, it it was a real strange atmosphere. Even with in the crowd, it felt a little bit athletic. The amount of messages that I got that was saying it felt a little bit Atletico uh, last year, um, and it just felt a little bit strange anyway. Um, and then you know, he, he did the job, didn't he? he? He did the job without really getting into second gear. I think you know some of the things that go on, some of the things that went on in the second half, sometimes it's, it's getting out of that mentality a little bit that of the things that we've saw in the past and, and realising this team does do the job. They, they get over the line more often than not. But, you know, psychologically, psychologically from a Liverpool fan point of view, sometimes I struggle to, to recognise some of that stuff. And, and you know, so, but but they got the job done. Um, and, and, you know, it must be a little bit, weird for them at the moment wonder what's coming next really i think so the 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 other thing about playing in second gear is i think for instance it doesn't it doesn't i don't think it helps tiago first half emma i think part of why he's and you know he's he's, he's almost trying to switch his brain back on there's a couple of really weird moments sort of watching him hit the side of his own head like come on what are you doing you know he apologizes to the whole stadium after he after he makes the mistake you know man, he, he was on the verge i think coming around every stand and just individually going I'm, i am sorry about that we'll sort this out but i think it's that's a funny thing is it? It, it is he's trying to they're all trying to sort of manage themselves a little bit Whereas you get the impression they do just suit, as John said before, they almost suit a tough Champions League group where it's all serious, it's all business, and it doesn't stop being all business. They knew this wasn't going to be all business in quite the same way, and then they end up with a sloppy goal conceded. Yeah, there's always that danger, isn't there, when you're sort of preparing for a team to sit back and not come at you and you having to, you know, grind out the result and work hard that it almost kind of gets in your head a little bit before kickoff, I think, sometimes with Liverpool, where they almost go into the game thinking, right, this is going to be a slog, we need to grind this out rather than you know, as they would against, like, I don't know, a, a Man City team where they go, right, first 10 minutes, we're just going to absolutely go all out, get in their faces, play with real intensity, which we actually saw from Arsenal against West Ham in that sort of big kind of, like, top four game the other night. They just came out, you know, all guns blazing. It's almost like Liverpool had that mentality of, like, this this is going to be a grind. Thiago, I think, was a really good example of that because I think he's the type of player that almost needs, like, a Virgil van Dijk behind him, just being, like, sort, sort, sort yourself out, mate, like, get... Get yourself into gear, and I like when when I think about this Liverpool side. I think there's for me four players who really jump out in terms of setting the intensity. That's Bobby Firmino, Jordan Henderson, probably Van Dijk, and then Fabinho. Van Dijk because of his leadership and sort of organisation, and just the fact that he is a scary human being and will just like have a go at you. Fabinho naturally because of the way you know he comes in and just absolutely takes out players, and he just kind of has that knack to with one tackle almost get the crowd going again. Henderson for obvious reasons, and then. Firmino, obviously, with his pressing, and three of those players weren't in the starting eleven. So I do think that you know has a bit of an impact. Um, but yeah, I think I think on the whole, it was just one of those where I think it was always going to be a grind, and, and Liverpool almost played into Newcastle's hands to begin with. But at the end of the day, um, as we said, you know they got the job done, and three points at this stage is just the most important thing. I want to talk about a couple of performances, Paul. First, being Henderson. It felt he was, uh, certainly for the first hour of the match, almost having to be a bit of a one-man midfield in there because I think Chamberlain was just trying to get himself involved higher up the pitch. Uh, Thiago was was struggling immensely. It, the the thing that One of the things I think it makes difficult for him when he's in that position, Henderson, is that he doesn't get to play with Jordan Henderson, which might seem an obvious thing to say, but Fabinho often gets to play with Jordan Henderson just sort of over there in the two o'clock position, doing stuff as well around tempo. And he, I think he's, you know, the 
they were funny, I thought, on that right-hand side, especially in the second half last night. It didn't feel like it was anywhere near as fluent. First half, Salah stayed really wide, wide and you saw Thiago, Henderson and Matip all try to get the ball to him really, really quickly at different times. But I thought, I thought Henderson managed to both cover the gaps and dictate tempo reasonably well, strong enough in there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, the spaces in that midfield are so key, aren't they, to the way, the way we play and, and Henderson knows exactly what he's doing, as did Wijnaldum before. And it, it's felt a little bit, although you can see this midfield coming coming around now when Fabinho's in there, where that, that spacing is, you know, they're getting there, aren't they, with that very much so. But um, it did feel a little bit like Henderson was having to, not not for lack of effort from the other two, but having to to, to do a lot, of, a lot of running and a lot of fixing. For, for the other two while they were working themselves out. Someone just put in the chat there about them two getting in their own heads. I think they are two players that do get in their own heads, Ox and Thiago. Uh, and, you know, Henderson sort of pulled them through a little bit, I think, for a little while and, and, and boxed them off. And then and then you could see both of them grow into the game, to be fair, from there. The other thing, again, in the comments, uh, is some Kayassi says, John, second half, Trent played midfield. I thought Liverpool were having a little look at something second half. Trent, Trent really does come very, very narrow in that second 45. I think then the idea is that Oxlade-Chamberlain sort of pushing up before the substitution in there as well. I think it actually reverts a tiny bit back to, in inverted commas, normal once Kaita came on. But I think that there's... the. the we sometimes, I think, you know, at the minute we've, we use the line, sometimes they use the games as training, but we don't actually think about what that means. I think second half, there was a desire to have a little look at something a little bit different from the manager. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think there's, we've seen Trent coming inside, but it's generally been around the box or, or, or sort of driving. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's cut inside, he's, he's driving towards goal. Someone like Henderson's on the overlap or, or Salah, and we've seen them like that. Last night, he, he played a big chunk at six, yeah, certainly he was. He was playing in front of the centre half, so it, it was, and you kept expecting him to go back. Like, oh, this is just something that's happened in in play, and they're all going to go back. And he just sort of stayed there as a six, really. And I don't think we've seen that before. And it was interesting. And 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 you know, a couple of people around me were sort of commenting on it and and, and say, you know, that's it, you know, it feels like as you said, Neil, we're having a look at something there. So maybe that'll be something that will come, you know, over the next couple of months or stuff, or, or just maybe it might just be a case of, you know, with the COVID situation that we're going to need players to be a little bit more versatile. So they'll say, well, you know, you know, if we've got two lads who can play right back, but but only sort of two midfielders, you know, what what is our sort of solution to that? So there might be an element of that going on. I don't know, but it was interesting, I agree. The other thing that you, you get from Arnold is the delivery, the quality, Emma, and we get a great example of it. I, In the end, you know, I, I wrote in my, my match review, I thought Canati played ever so well, I thought Henderson was impressive, but if you want to actually talk about a man who determines a lot of the match, it's Trent Alexander-Arnold does the tackle, uh, which in the, in the penalty areas, the ball was coming across at the one end, and then at the other end, he scores the goal that takes it from 2-1 to 3-1. You know, he's Liverpool get to 2-1, but it's Alexander-Arnold who firstly keeps them there, and then secondly makes it 3 yeah, I completely agree. I thought that he was at the forefront of everything that sort of went through Liverpool, um, positive going forward. And you mentioned earlier about Salah having, you know, loads of touches, like just in the first 15 minutes. I just remember watching it thinking like, he's basically just playing by himself. And it was all coming through kind of trend. And if it wasn't coming through him, it was his overlapping runs or it was the space that he was occupying and drawing, you know, defenders away to give Salah that space to run into. So I do think he was like absolutely vital for Liverpool last night. But also just, you know, the way that he is now popping up with these big goals, I think is something which is just really, really good for him personally. Um, that, you know, that third one just absolutely kills the game. You know, Liverpool were, I think once, you know, once they sort of got the equaliser, you sort of felt 
you know, from there that it was going to be okay. Obviously, that you know they went and got the second really, really quickly. But it was getting a little bit nervy. There was, I think, the crowd was sort of getting a little bit anxious just because of the domination that Liverpool had. And then before he sort of you know steps up and put away the third, there's always that danger, isn't there? But yeah, I I, I think it was a it was. A, a huge game for him and it, you know it's one that probably won't get the headlines in terms of you know pe- people won't look back at the season and go oh that game against Newcastle where Trent was just absolutely unreal but they should do really because yeah he he's he sort of did he sort of did win that game the tackle was just spectacular Paul you know in the end when you're in the grand scheme of things it would have been unbelievably harsh if that had turned into 2-2 but if he isn't there, if he doesn't make the intervention that he makes, it almost certainly would have turned into 2-2 and that Allison had been dragged a little bit out of position, not out of position. He played well, actually, in the little break, Newcastle, but he does... It's it's a magnificent intervention. Uh, you just... That, that, that like, I played centre-half, no, obviously nowhere near to that level, but to have the confidence to sort of be aggressive in the tackle and try and get that side of the man, you know, that that wouldn't be your natural way of defending that, would it? You'd be coming round as a full-back coming round the other side, but it was just that confidence to go, I can I can get this, I can win this, I don't need to come round the other side, which almost certainly wouldn't have made anyway. Uh, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And like, you can just see, can't you, the difference from, like, and I don't think he was, he got a bit of criticism last season, but playing him in the position that he enjoys playing and where he's comfortable playing to his strengths you know he's he's now in a position where he you know he's defending in ways that he's good at rather than making him do things that I I think last season we we were asking him to do Um, so yeah unbelievable tackle but like all round it was all round game I love the fact that Salah can stand on the touchline and Trent's just as comfortable coming inside he's quite happy to go wherever he needs to go wherever there's space Next one on the line, mentioned Canate before, John. I think he, he sort of grows into a tiny bit. It's interesting he plays left, I think. You know, that he goes left, Matip stays right uh, for this one. I think it shows shows a confidence in him. He was excellent in Milan. He's perfectly perfectly good against a Newcastle side that, albeit, didn't have a ton of threat. But then that's a lot of the sides we play at Anfield, and you've still got to make sure. There's a, you've got to almost say to them, there's a reason why you're not trying to attack very much. Van Dijk's brilliant at it. There's a reason why you're not wasting your time with me. Uh, and I think that Canate, by the end of the game, had a lot of that sort of vibe going on. Yeah, it was the best centre-half performance at Anfield I've seen since Hogan for Woodlands FC back in uh, 2015. Don't listen to him about his level. Uh, so, yeah. uh, he, might, he might have got off injured after 20 minutes, but that 20 minutes was... Uh, <laughs> it was phenomenal. No, Canati, it's funny with Canati. I've seen a few people say they thought he was man of the match, uh, and then others, and I think one or two in the comments here actually say that they weren't quite sure about him. He looked a little bit sort of maybe rusty, maybe. I, I thought he played really well. Um, um, I wouldn't necessarily say sort of matter the match necessarily, but I think he was. I think he played really well, and yeah, it's it's a period where we're going to need him. Uh, whatever the case is, I know I would have said that you know with with or without the sort of the COVID stuff, you know, going on. I think he was always going to get games in this period now. Uh, he might get a, get a few more than sort of what he bargained for, really. But he looks ready. He looks ready to me. He looks like he's he's used his time well with the squad. He looks like he's, he's, he's fitted in well in terms of what we want defenders to do, really. And, yeah, I think those few months, you know, we'd be glad of them. So, so looking back, I mean, he'd have been, been keener to get a few more games, I think. But I think... 
you know, Rafa, sorry, Rafa, <laughs> I was just reading about Everton before the sort of came on. Uh, <laughs> I guess I was getting ahead there. Jürgen does like to sort of bend people in slowly, doesn't he? He does like them to have the sort of time um, to, 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 to come in and sort of show themselves, you know, a little bit to, to the squad first. And, and I think this period, you know, it was, we'll look back on in a, in a sort of similar way to, to say the Andy Robertson and, and things like that. And even Fabinho ahead of them, really. And yeah, he looks he looks like ready to go for me. And, and yeah, good timing indeed. Indeed. Uh, his centre-half partner, Emma, I think was, was excellent. Um, and it's as much about that distribution now, the ball carrying and the distribution, but I thought the distribution yesterday was great. It was the unlikely uh, partnership, as I said before, uh, Joel Matip into Mohamed Salah. Uh, was not one that you know you don't necessarily anticipate, but repeatedly he, he nails that pass down that side to the point that I actually think Newcastle deal with it a bit better second half. But the very idea that you're going in at half-time and your manager's got a list of things he's got to raise with you, and one of them is... Can you stop the centre-half from being a playmaker, please? Yeah, he's now gone into my my top five, you know, like five-a-side picks, like John Matiff, just in that sort of, you know, creative playmaker role. Um, yeah, no, I, like reading the comments again, you know, everyone was full of praise for, for Matip last night, and rightly so, because I thought he was fantastic. As you mentioned, his, his distribution was was absolutely spot on. We've seen that from him throughout the whole season and, and last season. Um, but also, I just think, like, I think like we speak about that so much and rightly so, but his actual defending for me has 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 improved, I think, over the last season. Um, in particular, really, just because I think obviously playing alongside somebody like Van Dyke will help. But he's it's almost like he's got a bit of a, a leadership about him now that I perhaps yeah. didn't see before. Um, and especially playing alongside Canate last night, I, I felt like we saw that. It was almost like he sort of Matip stood up and said, Right, you know, I am the the kind of the senior centre back here and um I'm gonna organise the the defence and and sort of, you know, fill that that void left by Van Dijk. And I thought he did an absolutely fantastic job. And as you say, he was more on that that kind of right-hand side, helping out Trent when, when he went forward. And I think that was really important because, um, you know, with, with Fabinho missing in that midfield at times, obviously, you know, you do worry that, that when the full-backs push forward, that that space that is often sort of mopped up by, by Fabinho, you know, Matip almost worked alongside Henderson in terms of, you know, cutting that out. So, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic performance. And look, um, having, you know, all the centre-backs that, that we do at the club at the moment, after having last season where basically it was non-existent, um, I just think is, is such a luxury now. I think the idea of last season on this, Paul, it's got my attention in terms of what is, you know... Matip, the, the idea of him taking greater responsibility, the, the the leadership sort of aspect, he does have to be the senior centre-half for a long period of last season before he finally ebbs away. And I wonder if that's part of what sort of stood him in, into good stead. It, was, it must have been no battle of laughs playing centre-half for Liverpool at times when he was doing it last year with God knows who next two years, not being 100% fit himself as we, we latterly discovered. But he does appear to have, to have stepped up in that regard as well in every single way. He appears to be without sort of getting into the, the cultish, no context, no, no context Matip stuff, he does appear to have far greater personality on the pitch. Yeah, I, I so my, forgetting ability-wise, I've thought Matip was like a long line of centre-halves that we've had for a long time, which have been sort of lads who've got loads of ability but don't command. The, 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 you feel like they need someone alongside them, i.e. Carragher, to, to, to point them in the right direction. Sort of, they don't even necessarily need to play the other lad. They just need to point and show them what to do. And we've had we've had loads of them over the years. And that's the thing. I think the biggest acknowledgement of Mata from last night's game is he made Kanate 
as well. You know, we've we've give that we've give that praise to Van Dyke for so long now, haven't we? Where it's like, oh, he makes everyone who plays alongside them look better. Well, I think we could possibly level that towards Matip now as well. You know, lads who play alongside them look more confident. And he is commanding, you know, he's definitely got a voice in that dressing room. You know, the T-shirts that came out around and that a number of them award and stuff like that. You can see he's, maybe it's took him quite a while, but he's, he feels like he's he, he's sort of a significant member of that dressing room. Whereas in the past, it's felt like he's been a bit peripheral, maybe. And maybe that's because he hasn't been able to get any kind of consistent level in terms of playing. I don't know. But yeah, I think just that, that, for me, like he, he was great last night. Kanate was great. But for me, that that idea that actually you play him and the lads alongside him is probably going to look good. Um, with, with no not taking anything away from Kanate, but actually giving, acknowledging Matip's role in that. John, the, the player that we can tend to miss out and let's be clear, he scores last night, uh, is Salah, because you just get used to so much brilliance from him. The first half an hour's, you know, both at the time, but also looking back on it this morning, it's outrageous, some of what he's doing. He's Because he doesn't beat five of them and stick it in the bottom corner, you almost take for granted the, the number of times he beats two or three, pins them all the way back, pops a little ball off, gets it again, beats two or three again. It, it must have been horrendous that first half to play against him in a Newcastle shirt. And as I say, he also shows real composure and, and, and knocks it into the back of the net. Yeah, it's, it's a nice finish, isn't it? Um, the, the more you watch it, the sort of you know, the the, the more you see sort of how, how so clinical you know he is. He, he just boom, he pounces on it, and it's in the back of the net before the keeper can can react. And and like yeah, like you say, Neil, he's he's a, he's a threat all night. He, he's constantly finding space, which is tough because he's up against teams who are determined not to give him any. Um, but he's just too smart as well as too good. You know, he's pulling into sort of different areas. One minute he's 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 very very wide. Uh, the next he's sort of pulling through the through the middle he can drop he's 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 aware of where his teammates are he's aware of you know where the ball is and and he's just a constant menace and and he's a, he's a threat all the time and he's trying to be a threat all the time he's just constantly thinking about how can i get through how can i how can i get to myself some space as i said and how can i sort of hurt the, the opposition and yeah he was gutted to go off wasn't he but i'm sure he sort of understands that you know there's there's hopefully uh, a lot of battles to come really and so 25 minutes um, sat watching and maybe a bit of frustration. It's hopefully bad news there for Tottenham on Sunday. I, he, he was frustrated to come off. He, I think he was also just a bit frustrated second half and that he couldn't quite get back into it in exactly the same way, Paul, that he would have liked. The first half, though, I'll say it again, it's it's just astonishingly good football. Oh, he's just on it. Like, Russell uh, Wilson, Callum Wilson, for them, pulls a the ball down out the air which was a great first touch. Salah does that every time the ball goes there. You know, it's like this big shock that Callum Wilson did it. A great touch, but Salah's literally doing that every time the ball goes there. Yeah. yeah. I thought the first half hour or so, he was just almost unplayable. I thought actually the change that they had when Jamal Lewis went off and Richie came on helped Newcastle a little bit in terms to be able to defend Salah maybe. Um, the ball he plays across to Manny first time was just on another planet. Um, I, 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 I still don't know how we did that. I don't. I, that's absolute top top draw. Um, but he's, he's, you know, people they, they, even in the game they're talking about what form he's in. Like he's been in this form since he signed for us. Like it's not form. Can't it's talk just... form no more. <laughs> but but he continued to do that. Don't he? They continue to talk about excellent form. Just just excellent player. 
Yeah, that, it is that simple, Emma. And, you know, it's now, if it is form, it's at the very least it's form that's lasted a season and he finishes last season pretty strongly. You know, the goal at Old Trafford. He just is... Uh, yeah, and it is that first touch in lots of ways because it sets up everything that is to come next with him all the time. And it's so, so consistent to the point you're stunned if it isn't a very good first touch. If it isn't a very good first touch, you're almost going, oh, what's wrong with him there? And yeah. that... That's, you know, that's berserk. There are balls that are coming at him from all angles, but you're always absolutely certain he'll get that touch right and then he'll just go from there. And as I say, I don't, I don't know, you can't get there before him. Then when he's then he's got it under control because his touch is so good and then he's terrifying you. And they appear to be the steps that every defender has to go through. Yeah, and just to say, by the way, that his reaction at coming off is like taking a pint away from Gibbo. Um, <laughs> there yeah, are more no. battles to fight, John. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be fresh for a congested Christmas period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like you're absolutely right. Like that first touch, I think, because he's got this ability to just, you know, turn turn your body in ways that like you don't think is is possible. You know, he, he can he can drop a shoulder and, and, you know, go past you to the right so quickly, or you can do the same on the other side. You know, he's not really got kind of like a favoured side. So I think your body position as a, as a defender is, and Paul will know more of this, you know, being like a, an elite centre half, but <laughs> like, you know, your, your, your body position, it's, it's difficult because you're like, you know, like you say, if you engage too much, then you sort of given that opportunity to flick it past you because he's got the intelligence and he's got the speed to then beat you. But then if you if you stand off him, he's he's got the footwork and the skill to still kind of drop a shoulder and, and, and beat you. So he's so difficult to mark. And yeah, and that and that first touch, it's almost like um he pulls it off and then the crowd straight away know, right, here we go. And it's like there, there's only a few players in my lifetime that I've watched play for Liverpool where every single time they touch the ball and it is that first touch you go, right, come on. And it really gets you on your feet and it gets you excited. And Mo Salah is absolutely in, in that period, which, as you say, has been going on for, what, three seasons now. But just every time he gets the ball, it's, you know, you know he's going to do something with it. I'd quite like him to beat me early, John, and get it out the way. Of Emma's list of options there, I'd, I'd, like, I'd, I'd just like that bit to be out the way. If you could just do it fast, uh, and then I'll just, I'll just watch. I'll just sort of jog, do the, do the, do the, the, the discontented jog of well, what was I meant to do, um, <laughs> and go from there with them. The, the circ, the context the game's played in. And by the way, just as a quick note, I thought Kaito was great when he came on, and and, mm. and we'll, we'll we'll talk later about what we do uh, for the game against Tottenham. But the, one of the things to say before we get into that, John, because I don't want to do it in the build-up to the Tottenham game, but we've got to acknowledge that it's possible the Tottenham game might not go ahead for, for one reason or another. Could pertain to Tottenham, could pertain to Liverpool, could pertain to the the possibility, at least, that the Premier League decides to, to get rid of all the games um, this weekend, given the fact that five are now already out. We talked about this on Friday's show um, earlier in the week, that there isn't, there isn't really as much transparency as I think that people, teams, squad supporters could do with at this point as to what's influencing the decision-making process, where and when. But it is, I think, you know, it is a, it's a serious situation where you know, it is going to cause massive fixture congestion. I think Liverpool will be desperate to play the game against Tottenham, I really do, because I think what they won't want is to be trying to look at fitting things back into the schedule in the second half of the season where they can avoid it. But they've got to have enough players to do that, and the manager was very clear, if we've lost three, the realistic situation is we're going to lose at least another couple. Yeah, it feels unlikely, doesn't it, that it'll just sort of 
be perfectly contained with those three three players. Really, they've tested positive. You would imagine, you know, as you say, Neil, there'll be sort of one or two more, you know, over the next couple of days, and then Liverpool will have a decision to make really um, on on whether they want to apply, and that's what it seems to be, doesn't it? As you say, it's a bit confusing. Supporters don't know, even managers, uh, when when asked about it and say, well, they're not entirely sure, but obviously there is a system in place and obviously, you know, it's working to a degree because five games have been sort of postponed within good time, thankfully, uh, for, for, for the weekend. And so I think, you know, from a Liverpool point of view, like you say, Neil, they will want to play the games that are planned for them, that are planned in the head for them as well. And, and so we'll, we'll, you know, I mean, everything's planned to the nth degree at a top football club, isn't it? And so they'll want to be sort of playing these games. But as you say, pushing them down the line, you know, doesn't really sort of, you know, help us either. And so I think, you know, when you've heard Jürgen speak as well, you know, he's, he's talked about the fact that, you know, if they, if, they, if they can go, they want to. And I think that'll be a general Premier League thing, really, because who's to say the situation's going to get any better or, or, or won't sort of get any worse from here, really? So I think if there's two teams able to play each other, I think they'll continue to do that. And hopefully... Um, uh, that's Liverpool and Spurs on Sunday. The last little thing on this as well, Paul, is there is, if we're frank about it for all these teams, there will be a degree of a of a sporting consideration. And what I mean by that is, I'll use Leeds on Boxing Day as a really good example. Leeds at the minute, not a COVID issue, but they've got injury issues. The form's absolutely nowhere. They're, they're, they're not the side that they were 12 months ago. But they're also possibly could currently be at the lowest ebb. And I think there will be a thing, won't there, at Liverpool where it'll be, well, we don't want to, we don't necessarily play them in March where they're either knee-deep in a relegation battle knowing they need the points against Liverpool on the one hand, or on the other hand, they're just in better nick, Bamford's back fully fit, this is going on, that's going on, and we're going to be trying to cram that in amongst our Champions League run that we hope we're on as well. You know, I think there is, there is going to be a thing here where... I think I think Liverpool would operate in good faith. Don't get me wrong, at all stages, I think Liverpool would operate in good faith. But there will be a thing for some clubs, and, and Liverpool also do get to be one of those clubs too, where clubs will be thinking in a sporting sense, well, we, we just want to get this game played. Now suits us to play this game if we can. Yeah, I think I think it's a natural thing, isn't it? That you, you, you're looking after their own interests or all the clubs to some degree. Um, for, you know, from a fan point of view, you know, you want the football to carry on, but you also want to be watching the best players and your team to have the, the, the opportunity to have the best players on the pitch, don't you, when you're watching it? So it's like, a, you know, we have this conversation with international football all the time and it's it, it's sort of the same kinds of conversation in terms of let's have the top players on there. I think, you know, you can see that it's already happening. There's lots of managers coming, coming out sort of taking varying positions, most of it around the ambiguity of the rules, which... I don't think is a surprise when you look at the ambiguity of the rules, you know, outside of football, never mind in football. Um, so, I, you know, all you have to do is look at Everton's, Everton. You know, it's, it's great watching Everton, looking at Everton's lineup at the best of times, but Everton's lined up last night against Chelsea, I, like, was ridiculous in terms of what they had available to them. Um, so that everyone's going to be playing that game, aren't they? You can see it coming now um, and all that jostling for who, who, what, when we can have what we want kind of thing. Dave Lynch has just tweeted that Liverpool are still awaiting for further test results from Van Dijk, Fabinho and Jones. No other players have tested positive yet. Emma. So as I say, I want us to sort of clear clear our palate of this. And then when we talk about build-up to the game, we'll do so, as I say, in good faith, that there's only the three. And we'll talk from there. It may not be the case. But Liverpool and the clubs in general, 
there needs to, I think there does need to be sort of a Premier League wide answer. There needs to be just a little bit more communication as to precisely what's what. The drip feeding of, for instance, there's only seven Manchester United players who they will be able to field, which ends up coming through the Manchester United journalists. You know, I do feel as though either the clubs could just demonstrate more transparency themselves and just be really open and say, this is where we are. They don't have to name names, but be able to say, this is where we are and this is this is what's happening. Alternatively, I think if there, if there is, if there could be better process, and again in the public domain from the Premier League, it obviously help you do your job, but it would also, <laughs> but it would also, I think, help supporters know that the decisions that are being made are being made for the right reasons and in good faith. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a perfectly valid, you know, uh, question of of the clubs and and of the league. I think I think like you say, just just the clubs maybe every day saying, you know. We've got zero positives or however many, um, you know, for the for the next two weeks or even if it's not every day, even if it's, you know, just maybe every two or three days, um, I think it's good. Because I think it's also, you got to think about the, the supporters as well. You know, if if supporters are trying to plan in terms of, you know, their work schedule, travel schedule and, you know, there's games getting called off left, right and centre. I think obviously you've got the the question of broadcasters as well. You know, if if they can see that there's, you know, some positive cases that are going on at Leicester and there's a chance it might be cancelled, they might make the executive decision to maybe, I don't know, put on another game. There's, there, there's things like that. And I think it's just, yes, while the, play, the player's safety absolutely has to be the number one priority, um, there's no question about that. Um, I still think, you know, Eddie Howe was talking about the integrity of the league, but I, I, I sort of agree with Klopp really that I think... You know, you, you don't want a situation where it got to last season where you're absolutely piling in five, six games in like two weeks because you've had to cancel those. Because I think that affects the integrity of the league as well. So I don't think that argument really comes into it. I think it's just, you know, you want to try and get the games played. I think that has to be the priority. That's just my opinion. Um, and I think the best way to do that is to have more transparency. So then clubs and fans and the league as a whole can then plan around that. Okay, uh, you're going to do this press conference as we speak. Uh, we will be talking about that and what comes up from it uh, through the second part, oh, well, the fourth part of this show. Uh, before then, uh, we've got a couple of little bits and pieces for you. Uh, we've got Vicky and Jess from the Mersey Made store. Uh, that is to come. And we've got Andy Kenwright as well on the Zebedee Zika series of children's books. But if you're with us on Tour Live, you're barely going to see the joy and it's going to happen in three, two, one. It's John Gibbons uh, for Tour Live, and I'm in the wonderful uh, setting of Mersey Made very festive at the moment. Yes. We are in December, uh, but I've had a, a, a tour around this fantastic uh, facility and delighted to be here. I'm very pleased uh, to be joined now around the table uh, by Vicky and Jess uh, from Mersey Made. Thanks so much for having me today. No problem. It's great to have you here. Um, so first of all, I'll tell us a little bit more about Mersey Made. You like a Pacific Centre, I've just had a, a short walk from uh, our offices. So tell us a little bit more if you don't mind about well, this fantastic place. Yeah. Well, we are we are a shop, stroke cafe, stroke event space, and also artist studios. And we're just um, steps away from Liverpool One, just behind John Lewis. And we're really, really pleased that our sort of whole USP is to support local makers. We've got 100 local creatives now in our shop um, who sell very, very, very different items. We've got gin, jam, honey, artist prints, um, jewellery. Um, and they're all downstairs amongst the cafe stuff where we've got tables dotted around. Then upstairs, 10 artist studios, of which Jess is one of them here, um, as well as working for Mersey May, so she can talk to about all the artists maybe in a minute. And then there are event space, and the event space is where people can get involved themselves making things. We've got um, workshops going on. We've got different things, candle making workshop this week. Um, I think also weaving workshops. We've had holly wreath workshops. And it's a great space where people can come and get involved themselves and sort of, um, 
find that creative side. Yeah, it really is a, a sort of creative hub in the centre of Liverpool. And that's what we've sort of aimed to create really is a place, an inclusive place built on community and creativity. I mean, it's thriving here. I've come in today, you know, there's artists working, there's people having lunch in the cafe and stuff like that. There's people obviously shopping, you know, for gifts and stuff like that. Mm. You come in, Jess, and you feel the energy stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel I feel more artistic just being <laughs> <laughs> well, No, you do, you're really doing that. That is sort of one of the really important things to us is we want people to feel comfortable. Um, we want people to be able to unleash their creativity. Um, and we've had people sort of describe it as an oasis of creativity, which is amazing. It's, it's, just it's really in the heart of our city. We really want it to be a space where people can come, feel safe and get involved. And the 10 artist studios we've got, we've got very different makers there. So you can see them at work and commission their art and um, some art commissioned pieces. So there we've got, um, I'm trying to think, we've got abstract artists. We've got um, a nail artist yeah. um, who's really popular, well, most of the year round, but very much this time of year. Yeah. Um, we've got um, lots of people who are making materials, cushions, yeah. um, graphic designers, and, and also actually ladies on the telly who does upcycling as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, lots of the things to see um, every time you come that's different. Yeah. You've long you sort of opened it a wonderfully time uh, just before COVID. So you've had sort of, you know, quite a battle really. So you must be delighted now that you're able to open the doors back up. I know you said online and things went down. Yeah. You know, you've, you must feel like, you know, you've been through as tough a time as it can be really. It has. It, it's been, we opened in November 2019 and it was obviously just building our name at that point. And then, yes, just like four months in to have to close again. We sort of opened and closed and it's, only really been then a year that we've actually been physically open um, but we're really really grateful actually for the, the, the city we've been really embraced people sort of I think understood the concept you know I had to write a business plan very start what will Brexit do but in some ways maybe Covid's brought that forward it's made people think mm -hmm. about what's on their high street and what they want to support and I think that's where you know we're really looking at Mersey made because people have embraced us and that's the people who want to sell through us and obviously people who want to buy items yeah um, and even also in the cafe we sell locally um, sourced items where we can with the tea and coffee and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's very much that USP and, and people have, I think it's been great kept us on the high street, you know, up to now. And next year, we just hope for more, you know, we're getting a new websites going live um, yeah. in a few days. And you know, we've already we shipped things overseas and things like that, but we're hopefully going to make it a lot easier for people to you know, navigate around the website mm -hmm. and, and send things out. Yeah, um, yeah. The people of Liverpool have been so supportive of what we've done. And I think the space sort of reflects all the different elements that Liverpool has to offer. So we've got all sorts of things from different, um, like from football related gifts yeah. to uh, like, yeah. yeah. So it really yeah. sort of it captures everything that the city has to offer, which yeah. is and Crosby Beach and you know, all, all all areas of the region covered. Yeah. And we're also actually always sort of throwing at the end, we're called the Gordon Smith Cafe. So it's Mersey made the Gordon Smith Cafe. And We've done that because the building actually itself is over just over 120 years old now and it was a Gordon Smith Siemens Institute and we've been really grateful actually the tour, a lot of the tour guides have supported us and you know bring us part of the tours and we now have a history wall that was part of our, um, our second year anniversary just a couple of um, weeks away so you can come and see the history of the building and sort of get that bit of you know absorb the history of Liverpool too when you're here and think of the sailors that would have stepped yeah. in you know for many many times yeah, I think it's a beautiful part and the is a beautiful spot you in and then you come in and you see all this wonderfulness and it's just you talk about, you know, also all thinking more about sort of what we're buying and who we're sort of buying from and I think I've certainly been on that journey, you know, during sort of lockdown, you know, thinking about, you know, what 
do I want to be given all my money from these big supermarkets or whatever, or, you know, will my money go further within the community if I start with people? And, and you've obviously really embraced that idea, but not just, I guess, you know, buying local things, but I think in some cases they get meeting the people who are buying. Yeah, exactly. Story. That would be yeah. Nice to do as a, as an artist. yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. I think that's one of my favourite things about Merseypaid is that you can constantly interact with the public and sort of see what people are interested in at the moment. Um, also from like a visitor's point of view, it's such a unique opportunity, like there's nowhere else in the city like it. Um, so yeah, that's one of my favourite things about it. Yeah. It's great. And we're hoping to be able to support people's careers, you know, like yeah. through. And you know, some people have come to us literally with like, they've, they've made 10 items and they ask if they can sell yeah. and then we've been able to give them advice and, um, and then have to show, you know, devise them how to print the items and they've just been able to grow what they sell through us, you know, and Jess here, we're really lucky actually. Jess has been doing your career, haven't you, for two years yeah. now, yeah. but you now um, you have your work in Liverpool One um, yeah. and, and, you know, going going far. So it has, we are a stepping stone, we hope to be for lots of creatives in the city. Yeah, it's also bouncing ideas off each other because obviously we have like a hundred different creatives. So getting that advice is invaluable, really. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's actually yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, you know, from an artist's point of view, mm -hmm. I think they're sort of in this if you're looking for clients and things like that, there's sort of yeah. everything in theory. As I said, I already spent about 100 pounds. Yeah. 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 It's great when it's great. If you're not sure about, you know, what you get for sort of an answer for, for or, or you or whatever, there's so many different things yeah. about the variety that really sort of jumped out to me. Yeah. And, and pricing as well from everywhere, yeah. from, from a couple of pounds mm -hmm. to, to, to sort of mm -hmm. more expensive. There really is something for everyone. Like there is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of inspiration, I think, here as well. So if, yeah. Yeah, if you're stuck for something, you can definitely find something interesting. And, and staff will always help, you know, and I think that's been the good thing. We've always wanted yeah. to make it so people can come in and buy something, you know, whether they are the young you know, teenagers looking for something for their mum. You know, right through to people who are, you know, do have a few hundreds or thousand pounds items. If people want to really, you know, very authentic, original artwork. Yeah. Um, but right through to we've got gingerbread cookies going on the shelves. Yeah. Um, the next few days, you know, we have um, locally roasted neighbourhood coffee, you know, for example. So there's lots of things. And we also do um, hampers. You can build your own hamper and things like that. So you can also make it slightly personalised. Um, so yeah, lots, lots for people to can, yeah. can find. I mean, we get our messages anyone who's in the city who's from the right presence or you know either Christmas or or just generally or somewhere nice to have some lunch to sort of pop in and see you guys you know and you just just behind Liverpool one and like you say yeah amazing me but also you know people who maybe moved away from the city want a little bit of Liverpool yeah you know, or people who've been to the city in the past and maybe didn't quite have time you know got a bit too excited yeah it's about a few uh, a few a few sort of mementos. They can come onto your website as well and buy directly from these wonderful artists. That's great. Yeah, we can ship all over the world. So, you know, we've got that in, in, in place to do. And yeah, we're also looking for makers as well. So yeah. if people are interested in selling through us, they can also contact us on the website. Um, a lovely thing that has happened quite a lot is people will buy um, gifts for people who've moved away from Liverpool and sort of ship them directly, which is lovely as well, yeah. just that, that sort of token of home. Yeah, yeah. we've had someone didn't move on a naval ship, I think, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it specifically shipped over to Canada. Yeah. Um, for example, because their son was on that. So yeah, we always try and support where we can. Yeah, we have to do that. Thanks so much for welcoming into this wonderful place today. Amazing for everyone. I do sort of check them out.
out of the Beef and Christmas shop. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye now. And it is John Gibbons for Tour Live. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by an old friend, uh, Big Red, uh, South Liverpool boy like me, and a friend from school, Andy Kenwright, and now author. Um, so, Andy, thanks so much for coming in. Hiya, John. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Yeah, good to be here. Nice to see uh, see where the magic happens of tour. You know, I've been following you for, for, for a while since you've been doing all this. And yeah, it's great, mate. Great to get in. Thanks. No, nice one. It's, it's really nice to welcome you in, and especially to, to see, you know, an old friend doing so well. And I want to talk about your book uh, that you've got out at the moment. It's First of all, I want to talk a little bit about the process because I know it's your first sort of fiore into uh, into writing. So I know it's, there's a bit of an interesting story about how it came about. So if you just want to talk to us about that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did English literature in university, and I was going to go on to be either a sports journalist or an author, basically, or a bit of both. That's what my goal was. But then, when I finished uni, I just kind of fell into this sports travel business, um, and it was quite successful in it. You know, it, I was like sorting out packages for people go around. They were going around the world watching boxing events even people coming to Liverpool to watch the match and stuff you know sorting out accommodation and hotels and packages and stuff and uh, so yeah it was all going great and then I completely forgot about my writing I just kind of buried it um, just because I was doing well in life with what I was doing and then basically the crux of my business was international travel um, so as soon as the coronavirus yeah. happened then yeah the rug was just completely pulled and then the f- but my company went bust basically um, my wife was working as a part-time as a nurse and all the day. She used to be full-time. She went down to part-time and we had the kids. And I'd even been saying to her, look, I'm just, you know, just jack it in. You know, we're, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. And then luckily that didn't happen because all of a sudden the roles completely reversed. Yeah. There was plenty of hours going in the Aussie, of course. So she went up to full-time and then I just became a full-time dad for basically the best part of two years which which you know I really enjoyed it was great having that time with the kids you know you can't put a price on that um and then maybe about halfway through I just sort of pen on the table and was like whoa (laughs) didn't I used to use these so yeah I picked it up and started writing again and then wow now I've got got a book out and another one out next week as well fantastic so the book that is out now that people can get now is Ebony Zika uh, world's best zookeeper it's based on a true story around Liverpool. Um, obviously, you've sort of adapted it and used artistic license and stuff like that, but it's it's based on a true story that happened well, in the city. It, yeah, so uh, it's, it's a story that I stumbled across. Obviously, there was there, were, there used to be three zoos in Liverpool back in the day. Um, there was one in Walton, one in West Derby, and then the most recent one, um, the Liverpool Zoological Gardens, otherwise known as the Mossley Hill Zoo, um, was on there uh, just on Elmswood Road there in Egbeth in 1930, in 1932 to 1938. So it was like, I like local history, and I've been like reading a bit about local history during lockdown, and then stumbled across the fact that there was this zoo there at the top where Rose Lane meets Elmswood Road, right, as you know, John, right by where I grew up, yeah. you know, and it was like, I was fascinated to hear about it, and I delved more into it found out about Mickey, um, he was a chimpanzee who they had there, who escaped four times and I've tracked down, I mean, it's all there online, all the newspaper articles about his various escapes, he escaped four times, once the three times he got into Egbert Fail, and one time he went down Allerton, down Rose Lane towards Allerton Road, running amok, getting chased and it was it was fascinating to hear about it and think, wow, you know, back what, 70, 80 years ago, that was like, he'd be 
running past my house with an army of zookeepers <laughs> and police chasing after him. So, but then sadly, in the end, in, in his fourth and final escape, he got into Sudley School, at the your old school. Um, and then obviously a wild animal and school children doesn't mix. So sadly, Mickey was uh, was shot to death basically. Um, yeah, as when he got out of the school playground, it was harrowing. You know, I've been I shed a tear. I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah. You know, reading about it because you know I've become quite invested in it. Um, so yes, yeah, so I wrote a kids book about it. But in my version, obviously Mickey doesn't. You know, <laughs> meet his sad end, which he did in real life. You know, in my version, um, the young zookeeper who's working in the zoo comes to comes to his rescue, and then the two of them have to go on and uh, go on an adventure to try, try and topple the evil mayor of the city, Chippiest Chitterson, who's looking to bulldoze the Mossley Hill Zoo and build flats. So yeah, that's the, basically the story. It just came into my head as I was starting to write again, and I've been I've been reading so much children's literature with my son. I mean, my son's five, so. You know, the, when I was wanted to be an author back in the day, I'd never envisaged myself as a children's author. Yeah. But because I'd been reading so much children's literature, when it came to that, my time came to write a book. That's what I went for, and yeah, it's been a fascinating process. And you know, a, a lot of children's literature that I read with him, you know, there's there's some really good stuff about, and there's some okay stuff, and there's a lot of it that I, I think, do you know what, I, I want to do something where. As an as an adult, I can enjoy reading yeah. it to him. You know, there's so much stuff out there with messages and stuff, which is amazing. You know, there's loads of great stuff with messages about children's mental health, dealing with tragedy, which is all brilliant. But with mine, I've tried to just make it more completely story based. But with the story being and written in a way whereby adults can enjoy reading it to the children, hence improving children's literacy. Because you know, if, if you're going to want to, if your kid's asking you to read a book and then you enjoy it, you're going to more so do it than get the get do go for the easy option and get the iPad out. You know, which is yeah. which is easily done. But it's you know, it's something that I'd like I'm open to. You know, make a little difference and get people away from. You know. Yeah. Well, it's it's a great story and it's beautifully written. But I know you know. I mean, I enjoyed it, but kids love it, don't they? I know you've done some stuff in schools and stuff like that and there's something about the story that just captivates children yeah that's it fascinating I mean, so I've been into obviously first I went into Sudley which was great obviously because that's the school where, where it happened yeah, and yeah. the kids were all fascinated to hear it. Some, a couple of them knew that there used to be a zoo there and must have been told by the parents who, who knew it but like, I'd say 90 odd percent had no idea there was a zoo right next to the school back in the day and that this chimpanzee was running, running berserk in their, their very playground that they play in every, yeah. every break time so that was great going in there to do it then I went into King David which is my lad's school so again that was great to get in there and then most recently I've just been into Rudston which was my old school and indeed your old school as well for a couple of years yeah, a couple wasn't of years. it yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah it's just been great and like you say the kids have just been absolutely loved it and especially for the fact that you know even if I do say so myself I think it's a great story but for the fact that all the teachers have been saying they haven't had this kids in assembly because of what's been going on yeah. in the world. We're just getting to a phase where they're, they're letting people back in. I mean, fingers crossed it continues. Who knows what's going to happen in the coming months? Look, but, you know, it's been lovely to get back in there, to get in there, read to the kids. And, yeah, it's, they've it's captivated them all. So, yeah, it's been brilliant, yeah. So, I mean, this book's out now. You mentioned there there's a, there's a follow-up as there, well. There is, yeah. So, Zebedee Zika, the Christmas zookeeper. Now, that's an adaptation of the classic uh, Clement Clark Moore poem, uh, to a, a Visit from St. Nicholas. Now, um, now that was written 
about 150 years ago. Everyone will know it, you know. It was the night before Christmas yeah, yeah. when all through the house. But in my version, in Zebedee's one, it was, "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the zoo, not a creature was stirring, not even a shrew." <laughs> and then it goes on from there, and it's just a full-on adaptation of the poem. But Father Christmas and uh, crashes into the Mossdale Zoo, basically, and uh, Zebedee and Mickey have to save Christmas. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great, and it's good because uh, what I've found out, I wrote it, and it's like you know, it's, like I say, it's a big ad- adaptation of that poem. Um, when I wrote it, I found out that if an author's passed away over 70 years ago, you can use their material, so I don't have to give Clement Clark, Clark more a drink on it. Now, you know me, John, if I, you know, if I bump into his great-grandson, of course I'll buy him a pint, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily obliged to, but, yeah, so I'm learning all bits about the traders and going on, and, yeah, it's, it's a great little one to have out for Christmas as well. I mean, by the time this goes out, it'll be available to buy. Brilliant. So yeah. people want to buy uh, either of the books, uh, what's the best way of doing it? Uh, on the official Zebedee Zika website, www.zebediezika.co.uk, UK, you can certainly order the first one and if the and pre-order the second one, if not indeed buy it by the time this goes out. Um, also, you can order them worldwide on Amazon um, and buy them from selected bookshops. If you order it on Amazon, obviously Bezos takes his his cut, and you don't get the same quality of book. If you get it off the official website, it's got a nice, lovely spot UV on the front. It's signed by me, and also there's a chance that little Zebedee Zika himself will deliver it for you. <laughs> me and my lad have been going around delivering, the hand oh, delivering amazing. to some to sort of like some select people who order it by ours so yeah you never know you might get a knock on Zebedee on your door if you <laughs> if you buy it off the official website but Amazon's also great as well. Now I would encourage everyone to read it it's, it's a brilliant book it's beautifully sort of presented and stuff the animation on it's fantastic but a lovely present for a young one in your life uh, but just before we finish Andy you must be loving the Reds at the moment. Oh John it's great it's great I've really loved getting my houses at the Derby the other night I've got Wolves coming up tomorrow so yeah, it's just been great. It's just been great getting back in there, getting back on the. I love going on the aways with the lads, you know. It's uh, you know, it's, it's one of the main, main things that I missed. I, of course, miss going to Ramfield as well. Yeah. But the aways, as you know, for me is like the, being really like the, my my fa- my favourite aspect of following the Reds. So. Um, yeah, it's just been great to get back there and wow, it's what a season it's proven to be, you know. Yeah, what a team to watch, what a team to watch. Andy, thanks so much for coming in. Um, yeah, uh, we could have everyone. Is everybody Zika? If you go onto the website, do buy it directly, you'll get a nicer product, but obviously it helps uh, authors out as well. But Andy, thanks so much for coming in. And best thanks a lot for having one. me, John. And we're back. Uh, all different people all live through different experiences uh, <laughs> since we were last with you, Emma Sanders, with Paul Hogan and with John Gibbons. So, Moving forward in the news, John, that no one else is is at this stage embroiled in the, the COVID question from a Liverpool point of view. I loved Naby Keita's 20 minutes, I really did. And I would be looking to start him uh, against Tottenham, probably alongside Thiago and Henderson. It's, it's really harsh on Chamberlain, the manager's just big Chamberlain upset, pretty much the best Oxlade since I've been here, massive step. He's doing a lot of graft for the team Chamberlain as well. But I just loved the the, the, the amount of control it felt as though Naby Keita had on proceedings. Yeah, he... he... I think it took him a, a little while to sort of get into it, but once he did, I thought he was he was impressive. Um, awful shot aside, uh, which I'm sure sure drove you mad, Neil. But um, but yeah, he's he's he looks, you know, of, of the of the you know the two of them who come on, he looks the most sort of raring to go. Then he for me, you know, looks sort of miles off it really, and you'd be shocked if he sort of starts against Tottenham. You'd imagine it'd be Leicester in the League Cup for for Bobby for his for his for his first start. But but Naby looked a little bit more ready, and I think. You're obviously looking at these games and saying, well, where can we freshen up a bit? You know, what are our options? And, you know, Milner's obviously won as well, gets a couple of sort of minutes, you know, to, towards the end. But but Naby, I think, you know, did a, 
a fairly, you know, decent job of putting his hand up there and saying, you know, I'll give you fresh legs on Sunday if you want, boss. I'm here for you. I'm ready. I can offer you something different, you know, from the midfield, which obviously he can. So, yeah, he, he's, he certainly put himself in contention for the start of Sunday. Banging contention, I think it's fair to say, Paul. He, the other, the other reason why I'd have a little look at Kaiser for this one is obviously we can, if we, if we, if we are talking without Fabinho, which, which I think we are, then I think just that little bit more, you know, you feel as though all of obviously Hettenders and Thiago and Kaiser have got slightly more six-ish elements in them than say uh, Chamberlain has. Milner's a bit interesting in that as well, but I still prefer Milner when he's either on a search and destroy mission on the one hand or alternatively looking to be more creative. I think that, you know, it offers just a little bit more security, I think, to Liverpool if, if they can get Kaiser on the pitch for at least an hour. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's in, Naby's an interesting yeah, one, isn't he? You know, you know we, we all know about the injuries, but actually when he comes back in, he tends to be pretty ready to go straight away. Problem is he breaks down pretty quickly afterwards, I suppose, is the issue. But I think... <laughs> This season, when we saw him play, we saw him. We saw. I think we saw more of him as a player, and I feel like he, he's expressing himself more, um, even being more aggressive, which I, I've thought has been missing a little bit from his game since he's come to Liverpool. So, I think, I think it makes sense to play him, and, and you know, we need to freshen it up. And, and out of the three midfielders, it, it, that that'd be the, the way I would go. Um, so yeah, so I think I think for me, I can see that one happening with Chamberlain, obviously coming on if we if necessary. The the manager, as you say, he's talking as we're talking, um, or he's said a, a number of quite interesting things. One of the things he says is we have no information about Tottenham. He doesn't know if they've trained. Uh, he's saying they'd like to play, but he also doesn't know literally what to expect from them. Literally, who's fit? We don't know. Um, in amongst them, who's available for selection? We don't know the answer to that either. In general as well, I was pulling a little sort of report show together for the Anfield Wrap and they haven't played a game since the 5th of fifth of December and there's only four yeah. games of, of Conte being the manager in the league so far this season. And I, you know, you're left sort of just being a little bit, a little bit bemused, not quite, you know, Conte's got his style of football, we can at least guess that, but where everyone fits into this, I think Liverpool are taking a bit of a plunge into the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was going to say that the same thing, you know, the fact that they, they wouldn't have played for, for two weeks, um, if, if that game goes ahead, well, over two weeks. Yeah, it's, there's also that question mark of how many players have actually been allowed to be on the training ground with Conte and therefore working, you know, um, with him, under him, uh, you know, with his new ideas. It's difficult, isn't it? So I, I think that does provide a an interesting element to the game. But then at the same time, you know, when we were talking earlier about perhaps the mentality going into that Newcastle game almost got in the heads of the players, it was going to be a bit gritty. Um, this might be a good thing because it might, it, it almost feels like there's a little bit of a European game element to it where there's there's that sort of slight unknown. You're not really sure what, yes, they you know, they might have been in good form in their league, but how does that translate in terms of, you know, yeah. European competition? And it's, it's almost like there's that kind of feel with Spurs. And I think that that will help Liverpool because they will then have to play almost to their game plan and to their strengths, um, as opposed to kind of worrying too much too much about what Spurs are going to do. And I think in terms of this, you know, this game, if Liverpool play their game plan, which is obviously to, you know, kind of suffocate possession, um, close out the spaces, press high, uh, get you know get the ball to to the wing backs and then and then obviously you know get the likes of Salah and, and Mane sort of getting in behind. Um, I think on paper you know if Liverpool do that then they are quite comfortably the better team. 
So therefore, by sort of not really knowing much about Spurs, it almost, you know, I think sort of ticks that mentality box for Liverpool where they kind of don't have to worry about that side of things. It feels a game, John, where Liverpool, even allowing for a full-strength Spurs, should be going into it thinking they're going to dominate midfield. If there's a big weakness, a clear sort of clanging weakness that Conte is going to have to address quite quickly, you know, I like Hoybjerg as a player, but if you're going to play 3-4-3, he's left with a hell of a lot of work in there. Skips pedigree from Norwich you know he's this isn't to say he's not he's not a good player or won't go on to be a very good player but you feel as though if if, if Tottenham if, if Tottenham are coming into a midfield against Liverpool a man down then you need you need your two to be up to be I'd say significantly stronger than both Hoybjerg and Skip and that's that's presuming that both of them are the lads who are available yeah I think that is fair Neil I think we we, we should and will expect to sort of dominate this game and, and it wouldn't sort of surprise me if Tottenham almost see this as you know, a game to get them back playing. Almost like really. a pre-season effort. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And they're looking at this and thinking, well, Liverpool are, are ahead of us now. They're headed in terms of development and where they are, really. So so seeing it as, you know, not necessarily something to try and try a few things, but more just, just to get out there on, back on the pitch and get back sort of playing again and, and get some match fitness and sharpness back for, for, for more sort of winnable battles. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you sort of see it, sort of, you know, them approach it like that and, and then... But then that's not to say that the Liverpool will necessarily win the game because obviously we need to, you know, be clinical. We need to take our chances and we need to make sure that we, you know, turn what we we're expecting to be dominant into goals. We expect to win this, Hogan, and that's that's a remarkably, I think, a remarkably chipper sort of perspective. City, for instance, first game go to Tottenham, get beat, and I think we do have to take that under advisement you know that was that was the first game under the new manager obviously everyone's a bit pre-seasony at that point so it, you know it's worth pointing that out but they still do drop points there yet because of where we are because of the way we view City at the moment because of it being another looking like another Liverpool December where the points start and they just keep rolling in and rolling in I think we're going to Tottenham about as confident as you can plausibly be going to Tottenham. And I think that that's credit to Liverpool, but it means, and I'm sure the club wouldn't be, I'm sure the team wouldn't be, but we shouldn't be complacent, but we should be very confident. Yeah, I think, I think you know, we're steamrolling, aren't we, at the minute? We're, moving, you know, we're getting wins in all different ways as well. Yeah, we, we've gone to a period where we were getting a lot of goals, but even where things haven't maybe clicked, like last night, we still feel like we've got that sort of, drive and belief and even when the personnel's had to change and things like that we still feel like there's that that sort of movement and, and motivation within the squad and that and that confidence that it's going to come it's going to come you know even after Newcastle went down it didn't feel for once it was early in the game obviously but it didn't feel for one second that that team didn't feel like they were going to win so I think so, so I suppose some slight concerns are that, you know, they have had a little bit, depending on how, how much availability they have, they have, have had an opportunity for the pre-season. Conte's had an opportunity maybe to to figure things out a little bit more than he might have done if, if it was just rolling into game after game, depending on who he's had available to work with, I suppose. But, you know, and obviously they've got the three lads up top who can cause anyone problems. But this team... It feels like you know we're going to do- we we should dominate the game and 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 there is chances even with the back four or back three. Expecting a Liverpool win, Emma? Yeah, I think so. I d- I just think you know that the way that they're playing and 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 as we said, you know the confidence that's oozing out of them. You know, like they they were pulling off sort of back heels and you know and doing sort of coy turns and really slick sort of one touch passing against Newcastle the other day. And it's almost like yes, you can't be complacent, but when you've got players of this quality playing with confidence, they take risks and they're good enough 
a lot of the time for those risks to you know to come off and that and that will cause problems for, for Tottenham so yeah absolutely Liverpool win John yeah I think so I think I think he'll be fairly comfortable in the end Excellent stuff. All right, then. Thank you very much indeed to Emma, to Paul, and to John. Andy for producing as well. Thank you for those who popped up for the insert in the middle of this one. I hope you've enjoyed Tour Live. Thanks for your comments all the way through. They do very much add to the show. Remind me of what I've missed talking about so far, so that's useful. Uh, Aid the <laughs> memoirs there on the right-hand side in the comments. It's been a pleasure as ever. It is Tour Live. Whatever you're doing this weekend, look, listen, the obvious thing to say is to say stay safe, and we do mean it. But whatever else you are doing this weekend as well, do make sure you enjoy yourselves. We need to uh, obviously find ways to, to, to keep bouncing all the way through this period, and a really good way to keep bouncing is the mighty, mighty boys in red. See you later. <laughs>